from Refine Labs. This is State of Demand Gen. What's up, everyone? Back on another Tuesday night of Demand Gen Live. This is episode 97 as we churn and progress all the way through to episode 100. So it's a cool buildup. I think I've been counting down the episodes. And uh, honestly, just want to be honest and and let everyone know about how much I appreciate and enjoy doing these things. It's one of the things that I love looking forward to doing. Trust me, if I didn't like doing it at 7.30 p.m. on a Tuesday, I would have stopped a long time ago. But really do enjoy um, getting everyone together. And as the group has continued to evolve and grow, it's been cool to see some people that came into the community early and then have gone on and gotten like jobs or done other cool things and sort of moved out. And so it's just cool to see how everything has progressed and want to thank everyone for being here. Okay, and then getting into the agenda here, we just have one topic that I'm going to cover and I'm going to have a pretty free flowing dialogue here with something that came up on a podcast today. It's been on some older Demand Gen Live episodes and, or, and some of the things that I've been thinking about is that some of the quote unquote elementary concepts, they're not really elementary, but they're some of the earlier concepts we talked about on this podcast haven't gotten brought up in a while. So sometimes it's interesting to kind of move back to them because they are the foundational elements that make a lot of the things that are kind of like 2.0 or 3.0 level that we talk about here now. They're sort of like the foundational elements that allow all those things to make sense. And so I want to go down the track of talking through a methodology that I've developed called stacking growth in its simplest form is identifying one main channel, figuring out how to make it work, scaling it out. And as you scale it, go and figuring out the next channel. And the easiest tell, and I've brought this up a couple of times on the podcast, the easiest tell on whether people understand this methodology or implement it without even realizing is when you ask someone what's working the best for you right now, they should have a very clear, confident answer. What's working the best for us right now? Podcast and LinkedIn, without a doubt. If you had made me choose one, it would be podcast. Um, And when I ask a lot of marketers, I get a wishy-washy type of answer. Uh, It's kind of like, I guess, Google search or like these things are kind of working. Like as a marketer, you should know. And it's really interesting to think that because in this whole game of like, multi-touch attribution and multi-channel journeys and all these different things that I think marketers believe that you got to be doing a bunch of different stuff in order to be successful. And the truth is that you don't. I believe that actually with more focus, doing less things really well is the way to win. If you can think that HubSpot built a massive company with one of the largest competitors in the game, built a massive company on their blog before inbound before the big conferences, before the events, before they had a ton of scale, like they did one thing really well and it propelled the initial growth of the company and got them to a scale within the next type of things took over. And there's a lot of companies that have had like a kind of one, two channel move to get very far. My company is one of them right now. The key is in order to continue at the pace of growth, when one channel either caps out, starts to decline or something like that, that you have one, two, three, four things to move to next. And so I'm going to talk through a framework of how to do this. Some that I've implemented highly successfully at a couple series D companies. Um, and we've done it here at my company. So I'm going to talk broadly about like, what is the framework? And then I'm going to break down some of the examples that uh, we've done here so you can see how it's put into practice. So 
step one is pick a couple of channels and experiment. The question that I know people are going to ask from there is, how do I decide what channels to pick? And so there is a, there's no easy formula to figure out how to do this. Like it, you, so figuring out, like I'll give you the example for us, like the way that LinkedIn was behaving in 2019 was a signal to me. And the reason that I was able to recognize that signal and then move on it is because I had been marketing on Facebook and Instagram for almost a decade before that. So I saw the pattern and I saw, okay, like this kind of looks like what I was doing in Facebook in 2012. Now it's over here. So, but the key is to figure out and prioritize a couple of channels and experiment to figure out, are they going to deliver? When you're doing the experiments, you're not only looking at, is the channel going to do something, but what's the audience match? If it's running paid, how am I going to target? If it's running organic, how am I going to get the audience? What is the content or information I need to put in there? Like, what is the formats? You need to have a lot of different things that you're experimenting with. And this is not like a run a test for a week and make a decision. These are ongoing long-term plays. Number two is that you're looking for positive signals. Positive signals could be something that shows up in attribution, right? So like, you know, some people run in DR, you get attribution, some of the old school stuff like that still exists. I'm not going to like say that you shouldn't look for those things because it's pretty obvious, but you're only going to really do that stuff in intent-based direct response channels. The qualitative is this one that's the most interesting to me. It's how I knew LinkedIn was going to work, to be frank. Qualitative, whether that's people sending you, writing in the comments, sending you messages, inviting you onto podcasts, asking you to speak on live events. Those were the signals that I was getting within months of putting information on LinkedIn that was like, huh, I'm putting this stuff out. People are listening to it. They're consuming it. They like it so much that they're inviting me to speak at their company. Sounds like something's working here, something different than when I was posting content on Instagram or whether I was running, you know what I mean? Um, or yeah, so looking for what are the positive signals, attribution software, qualitative. We use for paid channels, specifically LinkedIn, it's working really well, custom conversions to basically correlate how many people that are in, in, engaging, interacting, seeing the, the media and the ads are converting on demos with a 30-day attribution window, which is a good signal. Other things like that to get initial positive signals that are like signal to noise. I'm doing something and there's a positive signal coming out of it. There's something here we should keep exploring. The third step is to prove that it's repeatable. So once you find out, let's pretend that it's LinkedIn ads. We're running LinkedIn ads. We're targeting, we're targeting uh, contact centers in the financial service in, services industry. We're targeting those people. We're running LinkedIn ads with case studies and customer stories of successful financial services companies that have implemented this and got better results. We're getting some of the positive signals that, hey, like now we have custom conversions firing when people are submitting the demos and we're asking, how did you hear about us? They're saying on LinkedIn, our sales team is saying like, hey, the people that are coming from LinkedIn are the most that say they came from LinkedIn are the most qualified. We're having great conversations. Can you deliver us more of those? Now you're getting the positive signals. Now you need to go out and run two or three or four more customer stories and prove that it's repeatable. So if you do more of it, are you getting more outcomes out? Not necessarily compounding or increasing results, but are you still getting a repeatable outcome as you do those things? Once you're getting that repeatable outcome, number four is to operationalize. 
So in order to get those things done, oftentimes, like you might not have a team in place, you might not, you might be outsourcing something, whatever is going on. And to actually go and make it a channel that you're really going to deliver on, you need to have a process and people and everything that you need in order to operationalize it so that you can consistently move it and scale it. So put all the pieces in place, which again, can take months to figure out how are we going to be able to produce a customer story every two weeks with video content and all this stuff? Like, do we have enough customers? Are they going to give us permission to use their logo? How are we going to interview them? Like we can't get into their, we can't do high production film because of the situation with COVID. There are all these things and nuances that can happen. How are we going to make this repeatable and operationalize it? Once you figure that out, then you actually need to scale it more volume, more spend, like those types of things in, a, in the paid example that I'm giving here, organic would be the same thing, right? When we started seeing things work on LinkedIn, posting three times a week, the first thing I was figuring out is how do I do this seven times a day or seven times a week? Sorry. How do I do this seven times a week? Or how I'm going to push it and see if I did it multiple times a week, would it continue to grow? So, and in order to create that a level of volume for the channel, like you need a process, you need information, you need other things. So that is the five-step process. And now I'm going to talk through as a, so once you get to scale, that thing is scaling up. So let's go with the LinkedIn ads example. So LinkedIn ads is scaling up. We have a two-person team that's focused on running, getting the case studies, building the media, running it. It's delivering. We have a repeatable operationalized process that now we're trying to put more budget in and go. Then you're going out and looking for what is the next thing going to be. So now that those resources have something that they're working on that we know is delivering that's repeatable, now we're going to go back to experiment and open up a new one to look at what's the next thing going to be. It could be a podcast. It could be a live event series. It could be whatever else. And you repeat the process again while the individual, while the previous resources are scaling the other channel. Inside of scaling the other channel, you could have, oh, like the case studies are working, but we don't have like, you know what I mean? We don't have enough permission to use logos. We don't have enough customers in the industry, whatever. Let's try and add, if we start marketing our category instead of our customer stories, like if we added that in, could we continue to scale this? What if we started doing product marketing? What if we started taking the videos from our podcast and we dropped those into LinkedIn? And that's all part of the scaling of paid LinkedIn, right? So when you're approaching scale, you're going to run into things, whether it's like our audiences are too small, whether we don't have enough content to fuel it, whether we need a more variety of content, you'll figure those things out. Because when you go from taking $15,000 a month in LinkedIn and try and go to $200,000 a month, what you and you measure against cost per sales qualified opportunity or something that matters, what you realize is that you're going to need to evolve your strategy when you 10x your budget. And so, and then you have another experiment running and you run through that process. And now at Refine Labs, the first one was LinkedIn text posts. So just me at the company and we figured out, I saw certain signals. Like I was going around, I saw, looked on LinkedIn, Dave Gerhardt's over there getting 2000 likes of posting about marketing. So there's marketers on here that like marketing content. That's all the signal I need to be like, okay, this is something that we should prioritize. And so I start prioritizing, posting text posts, getting some of the signals, like I mentioned, being invited onto podcasts, getting comments, getting positive signals from in messages, having a couple of people say, hey, like, could you do some consulting for us? This, all this stuff happens within a couple of months, posting two or three times a week. 
And then I figure out basically like, how am I going to like operationalize this? It's repeatable. I could post two or three times a day. I'm getting some of the same outcomes. I'm getting a compounding growth in terms of engagement. But how do I now operationalize it? And when you try and go from posting two to three times a week to posting seven times a week or more, the process really matters. Like it started to break down. And so what I recognize is that I'm not going to be able to sit down here and just write a bunch of stuff unless it's going to get, it's going to feel stale and things like that. So what I need to do is I need a process where the audience is giving, asking me questions or different things like that so that I don't have to come up with all the topics all the time, which is how we initially had done podcasts and taking live consulting calls. This is in 2019 before our real podcast started. It was purely a podcast to create video content for LinkedIn. We didn't even publish the audio. And that was the operationalizing of the, the content because, so that you didn't have to think about what to publish anymore or what to write about. And then we worked through scaling the LinkedIn channel, which in organic channels, scaling is all about consistency. That's all it is. You, don't, you can't t- go and take more media budget and push it in there. It's all about an organic doing consistent activities for a sustained period of time. And so LinkedIn was scaling up. We initially added live events in early 2020, 2020, and had done a couple of live events, which created a great experience, a potential for a long form podcast, and then more high quality video content for LinkedIn. Obviously, shortly after that, the events went away and we moved to a podcast. And this is where the stacking growth starts to really happen. So I'll talk through it because this is where the track, like real traction at my company started to happen. So LinkedIn's going. LinkedIn is working at that point. I probably have 30, 40,000 followers. It's delivering pretty good results. People are engaged. We are growing pipeline every quarter. We have a process and it's continuing to scale. So LinkedIn is rolling. All that stuff is happening. We're making micro adjustments, which people do not value enough in the channel. Micro adjustments about how you improve the video of that. If you can remember, see how far the video has come over time, we're still doing the same activity, but we're making improvements to how we do it. So LinkedIn is running. And then we built the event and podcast movement together. Um, The event facilitated the recording of a podcast, which made it easy. And that started to, that was an experiment that Katana and I started to do. So when we launched our first podcast and events, we didn't know if anyone was going to show up. We didn't know if anyone was going to listen to the podcast that we put out. And so it's, a, it's an experiment at that point. So when you're running it, you have to give it a fair, a fair shot. When we launched the first event, about 25 people showed up. We moved that into a podcast shortly thereafter. We got a bunch of great feedback and we're like, hey, after the first episode, we're like, we had fun with that. We want to do that again. Let's, let's do it. And we started to roll that in and move from experiment to positive signals, which we got to is it repeatable can we do this event every single week and get a good response from people if so how do we operationalize it we brought it hired a couple of resources to help with the actual podcast operations to help with the getting the events going to help with the video post-production that gets created from linkedin so we start to figure out what are all the resources we need to operationalize this so that we can do it every week and have a potential to scale it which again in organic channels like events podcasts it's all about consistency. And so the operationalizing of it with the process makes consistency easier. And so those two things were going now and those 
then we started to scale those up. So from a podcast, an event that we were doing once a week, now we do some events twice a week and our podcast comes out three times a week. And we'll see. I'm really interested to see how we're going to get to the next level of doing five a week, which is a big undertaking from where we are. So there's like, that's the scale process that takes a long time. We've been doing the podcast for what, almost two years now. And so try and trying to figure out how to go from three to five is a big jump. So that's something that we're working on right now. And then the podcasts and events are really scaling and delivering to the level where we have positive signals. We have a bunch of people coming that want to work with us saying, Hey, I love your podcast. I was listening to this episode. We'd love to talk to you about this. All that stuff is rolling. And now you have LinkedIn events and podcasts all delivering. No blog, no outbound, no content syndication, no lead gen, all, no email marketing, all the things that B2B companies do right now. We used none of them and we stayed focused on a couple of the key biggest opportunities, focused on them, built them, scaled them, and stacked them on top of one another. And then when you have three things going, it's not like you get like one X return on them. They compound. Pipeline grows exponentially. This is called stacking growth for a reason. So those three are going. And then about five months ago, we started to up the video production game, get high quality and start moving into YouTube. We had posted our stuff on YouTube before, but we hadn't really taken it seriously until about five months ago. And now that part is experiment. We're starting to get positive signals, which is people attend the live, people engage on the live event that we, where we push this onto YouTube. We get some people that are either filling out like our wait list for a beta for the product that we're building or inbound for a consultation request that are saying, hey, I discovered you on YouTube. So we're starting to get initial signals, positive signals that this stuff is working. And now we got to figure out how do we make it, is it repeatable? We're starting to see that, but I'm not like fully there yet. And then once we get there, it's how do you operationalize, which would probably be, we need another video editor. We might need something else. We might need someone that can like script and plan, who knows? So then you operationalize and then you scale. And the last one that we have an experiment running, which is early, and they're all in different stages here. The last one that I'm working on is on TikTok. Um, and this one is purely in the experiment phase. We're not even in positive signals yet. And it's interesting because I've been running TikTok like relatively seriously for 30 days and I don't have the positive signals. And most people would have already bailed out they would have not posted as much as I had. They wouldn't have tried as much as I had. They would have gotten not like they would have posted for a week, not gotten anything, bailed out, forget TikTok. It's not for me. Let's go back to whatever else we were doing. You have to have channels that are working and then you have to stay committed to your experiments to figure out what's next. So TikTok, we're not even at the positive signals phase, but we continue to deliver on that channel because it's obvious that 30, 40, and 50-year-olds are moving from other platforms like Instagram or Facebook and bringing their attention to TikTok. And from there, it's my job and the job of our team to figure out how we need to adapt our message, our information, our things like that, so that people want to consume it on TikTok. And that's something that we, to be honest, have not figured out yet. And then whatever, what's that been from the whole, whole journey, like two and a half years later, LinkedIn, 100,000 followers, building really fast, scaling out across the entire team here. Podcasts, huge listenership, top 25 podcasts in the country. These events that are amazing. And we have two 
quote unquote bets on YouTube and TikTok that are going to be the next things that deliver for us. And you have a marketing powerhouse. But it started by posting on LinkedIn for three months and only getting a couple of like little of engagement and things like that. The moral here is you got to figure out where are the places where I'm going to focus and you have to truly believe that those are the places and then you have to make them work. So um, that is a process called stacking growth. We've used that at series D companies, which involves just fixing all the shit that they're doing right now, fix their conversion process from demo to skip the SDR, go to the AE, conversion rate optimization on the website, Google search, add in review sites, like figure out all the, all the capture demand stuff, then build Facebook and Instagram from zero to $150,000 a month over about a six month period of time, delivering sales qualified opportunities at less than three grand. Then once that's working, which takes a long time to operationalize to figure out how are we going to create enough content to just fuel $150,000 a month while still hitting that crazy cost per SQO target. Then you go and do the same thing on LinkedIn from zero to $150,000 a month. Again, takes another three or six months to do that. You're maybe a little bit quicker because you initially had the initial scale from Facebook and the process built in there. Then now the experiments are happening on YouTube ads and Reddit. Both are past positive signals. They're moving into repeatable and then we'll get into operationalize and scale. And so, and then you have a really crazy marketing mix, but you need to look at marketing in a long-term window for any of this stuff to work. It took a year to go from zero to 300K on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And it also took their pipeline from like a million a quarter to 5 million a quarter. That stuff takes 12 months. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't just switch on 300K a month without wasting a ton of money. So we'll have to answer some questions on this, but that's uh, the concept called stacking growth. We do have a few questions on this topic, so I'm going to start there, and then we have a bunch of other really cool questions on a bunch of different topics. But Samson, if you're a newer member to the community, I'm going to bring you on first, and then Maria, you had a couple of questions. And so, Samson, welcome. You're on Division Live. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, great to have you back. Thank you for having me. So I'm going to go directly to the question instead of, you know, a lot of talk. So how are you measuring how many times per day per week to post on a new platform as you're testing it out we were mentioning earlier that when you t- test it out you got to so feel it do, you do that you got to you got to not be afraid to fail and you got to feel it one of the few people that posted eight times a day on linkedin in 2019 just to try it because there was a bunch of chatter from people right so i'm new on the platform i'm trying to figure out people that have been there for a while telling me don't post on the weekends it's a business platform only Monday through Friday. You got other people that are saying, don't post more than once a day. The algorithm's going to kill your posts. And I'm like, instead of just listening to what these people say, I'm going to do it myself and figure it out. Um, and the things that I figured out is posting on the weekends was one of the best things that I did. I can't say that I wouldn't have been successful without it, but it was a huge driver. Every post that got more than a million views for me happened on a Saturday. And everyone else was like, no, I can't post on the weekend. And what happened was that nobody posted on the weekend. And so, but everyone was still looking at LinkedIn. So my posts got ridiculous organic reach. And then I found that actually two posts a day was super ideal and optimal 
one in the morning, one in the afternoon. It's just really hard from a consistency and operational standpoint at that point for me to do that. Um, but I, my belief was that the two posts a day was actually the ideal on LinkedIn. But it's feeling it out, right? Like you got to, I was posting once a day and then I started to increase it out two, three, four, eight. And you start to see like a breaking point. Oh, when I do this, like it started to push the algorithm down. The same thing's going on on TikTok right now, where I think the most that I've posted in a day right now is three. And it's such a, the dynamics of that platform are so much different that content that you post weeks ago still gets engagement because it's just not, it doesn't operate the same as LinkedIn. Um, and so that one I haven't completely figured out, but the key is to be curious, to listen to what people are telling you, but don't take it as the truth. Be with the curiosity to say, I'm going to go and I'm, I'm going to test this stuff and I'm going to understand the underlying mechanics better than anybody else. I think that's the mindset that is best taken. There's typically a play in organic channels where volume matters. And people think that if you create a lot of volume of content, that it can't be high quality. I think that I've completely proven that wrong. We post like a ton of high quality content every day on LinkedIn. And so just because you post in volume doesn't mean that it needs, that it needs to be low quality in order to do it. And consistency and volume really matter in the success. So like, and I don't see a lot of companies operate with the consistency or the volume anywhere close to what we're doing. And so they're like, oh, LinkedIn doesn't work for me or, oh, organic social is a waste of time and money. And it's like, yeah, the way that you're doing it. Yeah. Just like, like a lot of people try, <laughs> try and be Tom Brady and can't, right? Like a lot of people want to play in the NFL, but they don't. It requires talent and effort and consistency and work in order to be an NFL player, just like it would be to create content and get a ton of people that want to listen to it. And it just takes a lot, it takes work. So I think that people expect like it to be easy and not to be able to not need to do anything for it to work. And it's the complete opposite. It is a ton of work. Awesome. I got a huge lineup. So I'm going to bring Maria on next. Maria, I think you dropped a couple of questions. So go ahead and start with one of them. I did. Thank you. Hey, Chris. Hey, everyone. Hey, Maria. Okay. So my first question is, if you don't have a lot of customer success stories, would generic use cases for specific industries you're trying to target render similar results? And I'm asking that for two reasons. One is er we're early stage and we're just getting going with some of these stories. And number two, we're in cybersecurity and not everyone is willing to come on record to you know, tell everyone what they're using for that particular mm -hmm. cybersecurity problem. And so I wonder if adding that to the ad campaign mix uh, as a generic use case would, you know, some industry data on what a product similar to ours would do in terms of seeing ROI or fixing security issues. So that's one. And then the second question was... Yeah, let's cover that one because while you asked the second one, I'll forget the first one. So let's just go one okay. at a time. Okay, let's um, do it. Yeah. On this one, what I personally would do is I would focus on a different type of content, right? So I wouldn't try and like, there's a element here. If you broaden what you're talking about, it's basically social proof. A case study with a named logo is one way to do it. There's also like taking out a testimonial that's already written on G2, figuring out whether you need permissions based on the company from a legal standpoint, or just making it anonymous and then publishing that. So there's like 
a little bit of a way that you could go in directly by finding some type of review that's on a publicly available site and then promoting that. But I would focus on a different overall type of content, either t getting people more aware of the problems, getting people more aware of the category and the narrative of the company, or if they're already probably aware of the category, getting them way more aware of what your product does. So I would just shift, especially at the early stage, right? You probably don't have a ton of customers and you don't have a ton of customer success stories. You don't have a bunch of them for a reason. You mentioned that there are barriers in your industry, big companies, big legal, they don't want to share their stack or whatever else is going on. And so those barriers are there for a reason. And so instead of fighting the barriers, I would just feel the kind of like push that, hey, like this one is, I'm not getting where I want to go here and redirect and find a different piece different type of content to experiment with first. The, so the next question was, if you don't want to go the route of fancy ad platforms for better target uh, audience targeting, is it possible to get really, really good at audience targeting on LinkedIn or AdWords with maybe CRM data and different lists for different uh, stages of the customer journey? Or is there no hope there and we still have to go with things like role works and metadata and the like? LinkedIn has the best targeting out of any of these, the platforms that you mentioned. Anything that's available, LinkedIn's the best. It has the most accurate, relevant data. It has 100% match rates because it's native data. So like, forget role works and metadata. Like, like people ask me this all the time, do we need a, a targeting solution? It's like, if you're using LinkedIn, you definitely don't. Their targeting criteria is incredible. It's all you need. Job titles, company firmographics, named account lists, whatever you want to do. Five years ago, it was a different story because the prices between Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn were so much different. Now they're like not that they're not as different as they used to be. Like I remember being able to show my entire market a piece of content, 50,000 people for like 200 bucks. They knew new case study, new video, my entire over time, my entire market learning other things for no money. It costs us less than one demo from a sales rep. It costs us less than the gas for our sales rep to drive across the state to have a meeting with someone. But those, the prices are not as, as, as dramatic anymore. The differences aren't as dramatic anymore. So for you, I would figure out how to prove that you can do native content in the feed on LinkedIn and have people resonate and work. And for your buyer, I know that would work. So I would, I would focus there. Okay. Thanks. Thanks Maria. Yeah. Yeah. To go a little bit further on that, just as a little bit of a tangent, like, the LinkedIn ad engine is such a powerful tool and people are out there being like, oh, it only, uh, obviously it works for you for sales and marketers, but we crush with CFOs. We crush with developers. We crush with engineers. We crush with heads of HR and other people in the, the department, in the HR and people department. Everyone uses it. <laughs> it's just whether you know how to use it to drive business results. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I, the effects that I'm seeing in LinkedIn right now are very, very strong. Awesome. Let's keep it going. Liam, I think you had a good question on the stacking growth topic. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to, hello everyone. First time attender. It's great to have you here for the first time. Yeah. Transparently, I work for an agency. We target B2B uh, tech series A, series B companies. So 
you know, kind of playing a similar vein. Your concept of stacking growth. I mean, I know obviously Refined Labs goes after Series D, Series C, Series D. Find the problem we bump up against kind of in what you're talking about with Series A, Series B companies, less runway, less budget. So is there like a dialed back version of this? Because I mean, they're coming into fundraising rounds. They're looking at us to provide growth to go from next fundraising round to next fundraising round. They want results really quick on with, yeah, less runway, less time, less budget, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So less everything, that's good. Any suggestions for maybe doing it on a more micro scale or I guess that's likely my question. And in order to see growth for them to go to the next fundraising round that there's a ton of pressure on me to get them there. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny when people ask me these questions because if it was like, if there was a way, don't you think that I would already have done it? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I was typing this question. I was typing this question. I'm like, you know what? In retrospect, there's probably a reason they work with Series D companies, and yeah, this no, question's I mean, going to be turned on me really fast. Uh, we're we're over here doing marketing, not doing magic, right? And so, like, yeah, there is no way to accelerate the process of educating your market on the things that they need to know in order to want to buy your product. You can pump up vanity metrics, you can run lead gen, you can do outbound sales, you can scrape email addresses from LinkedIn and send cold spam emails to your audience, right? Which is what series A companies do, which is fine, right? If if you want to do that, that's cool, but it's really sales, not marketing. So what I find is that across the board, right? I'm not even, it happens with early stage companies, but it really happens across the board from a mindset standpoint is that companies think that they're hiring, like that they want to hire a marketing firm and they go out and they ask the marketing firm to do sales activities. And it's like, why don't you just do sales at that point, right? If you're trying to have things that happen in that type of time window, like you have a 90 day sales cycle and you want people to mark something to start delivering within the first 90 days, then go and do sales. Like marketing is a long-term play where you stack growth and then you outpace sales forever once you get it to work. Sales gets way easier, it scales way faster, and it's something that cannot be replicated by scaling a sales team. And that's why we should, that's what we should strive for in marketing, not to help our sales team do sales. That's what I would uh, approach it with. If you're thinking about the paid side, like, what those companies likely will force you into is direct response marketing. Oh, you um, know it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's performance I, marketing more than it is growth. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So, and so that can serve a purpose, right? I know companies that love to spend $40,000 a month on LinkedIn of investors' money and get one customer from it for 30K ARR. And they're like, yeah, we have like whatever, an 18 month CAC marketing advertising CAC payback, but whatever. And it's like, you know, if you just like changed what you were doing in the channel with 40K a month that you could get like 15 qualified opportunities and win 20 to 30% of them and get four or five times more customers with the same amount of money if you just had a different strategy. But people won't do it because they love pumping up the lead numbers. Tons of companies do that where it's like, oh my God, if you literally just changed the way that you spent this money, you'd get way better results, but they can't get over it. And then... Occasionally, you'll find a smart Series A or B company that's has the right resources, has the right mindset from a CMO and executive team, has the ability to start to get a the mindset of consistency from an organic standpoint, and that's really like an interesting angle for Series A companies. Rare. But it, it's rare, and it definitely doesn't rare. solve the time. It doesn't solve the time scale. You know what I mean? It's the opposite. So. Uh, no clear cut answer here, but like we work with 
you know, it's rare, but we work with A's and B's, but they have to be like, they have to be in the right mindset to do what we're doing, which is play marketing for a long game. We drive better results in within six months. That happens for most of our customers. But if you come in there and you're like, if you don't get to whatever 3X pipeline in the next 90 days, we're going to run out of funding. It's like, I want no part in that. It's not good for my team. It's not good for you. It's not good for me. Like, get out of here. So, so just to end this up, would you say there's a space in the market for, let's define ourselves as a growth agency that play primarily in seed series A, series B, or should it almost be redefined into performance marketing until they likely take growth more seriously in the terms you've just defined? Mm, it's weird because the stuff that we're doing would definitely work better. It's just a mindset change. It would work better in the short term and it would work better in the long term. When you measure against revenue, not against sales activity. Um, <laughs> they do love sales so, activity. Uh, it's not the fact that one thing works better, that what we're doing doesn't work as well as what they want us to do. It's that their mindset prevents us from doing the stuff that works better. Um, and it's just, it's the mindset of the company that holds back the progress that they could be making. And they keep spinning around on this wheel and never, like, never get the spin around in the MQL hamster wheel, they get to their series A, but they never build a foundational marketing engine that will propel them to actually win. These companies, they like play in such a short term game. And the only way that they win is by winning in the long term. Right. Selling your okay. going for, in 12 months from series A to series B, you're not gonna be able to exit your company. Right. And so it's just, it's, it's so interesting how they play on such a micro scale and really in order do. to ever win, in, ever, in order to ever win in the game that they're playing, you need to play for a long time. I appreciate the time. Thanks, man. Yeah. Great to have you on here. It was a great question. Hope to see you again, Liam. Thanks for coming tonight. All right, Kate, thanks for your patience. Excited to bring you on. Welcome to the show. Hey. Everybody, hey, Chris, first timer here as well. Love it. Great to yeah. have you here. Thank where, you. Where are you calling from? Uh, DC. Nice. Yeah. So I'm on the job hunt and I wanted to see, you know, just as a general marketing question, if there are any certifications, academies, LinkedIn badge-esque types of things that you guys would recommend that kind of showcases your understanding of being like a modern marketer. I'm currently upskilling and besides like state of demand gen and, and the podcast, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, kind of falling short of, of places for more information and also like the certification stuff. Yeah. I would uh, like hard pass on certifications. If you want to use it for the learning, that's cool. But like the idea that companies are hiring you because you have like the LinkedIn certification or the HubSpot certification is just like, I don't think that's the reason people hire you. What I would focus on instead is putting the things that you're learning into practice. So if you're trying to figure out how to produce content, then pick a channel and produce content about it. It doesn't have to be business content. It doesn't have to be about marketing. It could be your food blog. It could be anything, but prove that you can do organic social and get it to work and build an audience because you learned so much through doing it. So like that could be one, if you love to interview like women entrepreneurs or whatever, then start a podcast and interview people and, and get the process down so that you have a playbook going in and you have a story that you can tell when you're going to an employer of saying, Hey, this is like the work that I've done. I took this 
from nothing. I started to get these people together. It created this. I then like you could I'm going out of left field here, but just play with me for a minute. Like the entrepreneur women entrepreneur podcast was going so well. We had a thousand women that were listening. They loved it or whatever. That then we started like I started making merch. I built the Shopify store and now I'm selling the merch on the on the website. So I figured and then I figured out how to run TikTok ads in order to sell these cool like sweatshirts that I made from our podcast. And that's how you go and you get like a you make a leap in your career from wherever you are to move out, do things where you learn, move up past like two or three levels, jump people and come back into an organization at three or four, you know what I mean? Multiple seniority levels higher than where you are right now. If I like tried to just play the corporate ladder game in my career, I'd still, I'd be a senior manager or director right now. And with the skills that I have now having like more uh, close to a hundred person company that's growing super fast, the corporate ladder, you know, stunts your growth. Mm-hmm. So getting out of that space, doing things on your own so you can le- really learn fast and proving that out and then taking that story and going back into a company as a senior leader or executive would be my recommendation. Awesome. Thank you. Happy to help. All right. All right. We're going to keep it going. Gary is up next. Excited to have you on the show, Gary. Thank you for sending your question in advance. Welcome to Demand Gen Live. Thank you. Thank you. And I have a second question I want to sneak in because that's just how these conversations go, right? I'll allow it. I'll allow it. The first one is, Chris, you talk a lot about client insight and talking with your actual customers. And I'm trying to engage more in doing that. What are some of your go-to questions that give you the most insight that you can? Obviously, there's going to be some industry-specific ones that I need to come up with. But what are your go-to's? that really maximize the insight that you get from a client. Totally. Yeah. And there was a, I'm not going to repeat the whole thing because there was a detailed segment on this from the last week's demand gen live. So somebody Angelica or someone that's live here can link like an episode or two behind. So Uh, yeah, yeah, it's perfect. But there's like a, it's the most clear I explained it was on the last demand gen live episode. So we'll get the link for you and share it, but I'll cover a a couple things here. So understanding where they get information, how they're measured, what their goals are, what they think about. So like some tactical facts, like those things, and then thinking about what they think and feel about those things. Do you, how do you feel about your goals? If you had the power to change them, what would you change them to? Why would you do that? Right? So there's like some question tracks to get you from here's the reality to here's what I think about them to if I had my say, here's what I would do differently. And then why they would do it differently. And then you ask that to like, 10 people that do the same function and you start to see really interesting patterns of like, oh, this thing is broken here. And the reason why it's broken is because the people up here don't see this. So what I need to do to help people unlock this for my, the director level people that are actually the people that drive the decision here and are the users is I need to educate people that are two levels above them about why what they're doing is dumb, which is suppressing this thing, right? So you can kind of get tracks on, on that. So that's like a pretty general like thing, goals, where you get information, how you want to buy that components. The rest of the stuff is industry specific and we'll link in the podcast for you. Awesome. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. Let's get you to question two though. Yeah. And another quick one. We've been, been, I was podcasting infrequently on and off for past couple of years. We've been really frequent and consistent since August. 
but our overall listenership is not huge. Now, that's not the goal. I honestly don't care because the content engine alone is enough to justify the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I hear from clients, one or two, they're like, yeah, we chose you because it shows your expertise. Mm-hmm. The question is, though, should I be concerned that the podcast isn't getting more listeners, more audience? And how should I fix that? How many listeners are you getting? Like 10 an episode. Okay. And you're getting some signals that customers chose you because they listened to the podcast? One in particular said, we, this showed that you were experts in the field and that's what we wanted. And so we went with you guys. Yeah. Are you selling big deals? Average is like 3000 MR. Okay. 36 K a year. So not, not huge, pretty velocity. You're going to need that to have some volume in order to really make a, a large difference for the business. Right. The thing that I believe that you're missing, this is a guess, but I think it's a pretty educated one, is you're missing the initial user acquisition loop to the podcast. There's only two things that could be going wrong here that people either are not, people that should be exposed to the podcast are not discovering it because it's not being promoted in the right places to get them to the initial listen to be like, oh, this is valuable. I should listen again. That's one thing that could be going wrong. Or the only other thing is that the people are finding it. The 10 people that are listening to it are not finding it valuable and not re-listening, right? So those are the only two places where it breaks down. My intuition tells me that's the first one, that you need to find a way to get the initial 100, 500,000 people in there. And then once they listen to it and they like it, they tell other people, they share it, they talk about it in social, and the engine starts to roll itself. But you need to basically get the spark to start the fire. And so like the way that I distribute in the comments of LinkedIn has been a really strong play for me for a long time to get like two, three, four subscribers every time we do it. It's probably more at this point. Uh, It's not something that I track uh, very much. Leveraging going back to like your database and potentially like running some type of email campaign to let people know that it's out there. Having certain guests that are like using a guest in an event to get people into it and then republishing the recording as a podcast. So that the people on the event that either want to share it or want to re-listen to the content because it was valuable end up have to go to the podcast in order to re-listen to it. So you just need to think through, there's a ton of different options of what to do, but I believe that you need to get the initial hundreds of people to get in there and really consume it. Podcasts don't grow themselves, like just by posting it and hoping people will search and find it typically is not the, not the path. Great. Thank you. Happy to help. Hey, Gary, scroll back in the chat. I dropped the episode that you need to listen to. So got it. Thank you. It's there for you. Nicholas, thanks for your patience. You're up next. Welcome to Demand Gen Live. Hey, thanks, Megan. Uh, first time listener in a long time uh, joining here. So thanks, Chris, for having oh, me. Love having a bunch of people first time here. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I have a question as it pertains to content strategy. Tell you kind of the the good and really where I'm trying to get to is trying to figure out a way to kind of connect the dots and find the connective tissue between what we're doing on the content side and the sales side. And mm-hmm. so kind of give you the good. Uh, we about some time ago identified YouTube as our number one platform. We post there once a week consistently, you know, high production quality video, and we're getting really good traction with it. Uh, our metrics are doing well. Our views are are really good. The vanity metric metrics, you know, the views, the subs, but the shares in, in industry groups is is really doing well for us. 
Um, and we're what does that mean? I just want to. Can you talk through? The yeah. So the every, like- every yeah. So we're in a vertical SaaS, mm-hmm. and so there are industry Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups and all that, and we're seeing our content get getting shared just naturally in those groups from people who find the content really helpful and, and they share it. Uh, yeah. Our content's focused primarily on our category, which is pretty broad, and in our audience, helping them kind of with the things that they struggle with that aren't really pertinent to our technology at all. But it's just really good stuff from uh, thought leaders and subject matter experts. And it's doing well for us in that regard. We push it organically through Mm -hmm. all of our organic channels, through email. We do it with ads as well. We have an an ad strategy behind our content on Facebook and LinkedIn. All Um, surrounded about this one video or? No, all all, like the videos that we do on a regular basis. So we, we put out content, we share it. Uh, organically, we push it through email. If it's really like a, a cornerstone piece of content, we'll we'll create uh, ads around it and land, you know take them to different things and mm-hmm. just all that good stuff. Um, okay. YouTube is our, our our number three self-reported closed business source. So we're doing. What are the, some what are the two above it? Referrals and mm-hmm. Facebook. Every call Facebook, that our the, the groups in the communities that you're talking about or ads or ads Facebook ads. Okay. Yeah. Every call that our account executives have, people are mentioning the content. So we, we feel like there's a lot of good things happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel good about that. But I also feel like, and maybe this is a me thing. I, I just don't know if, if anybody else ever feels this. I feel like I'm still kind of punching in the wind a little bit uh, because our category is kind of broad. The category itself is kind of broad. And what we're doing isn't really connected to our technology. It's connected to what the audience just finds really insightful. And, and they organically come through the funnel. So it's, it's mm-hmm. good. I want to make sure I'm just not freaking out if I should just stay the course and keep doing it. Or how do you connect your content? How do you intentionally strategize and create and connect your content to the overall sales strategy so that when you need to grow sales even more, or there's like, there's a, this, you know, initiative to, Hey, we got to get 10% or 20% more demos or whatever that you're putting out content that aligns with that strategy. So you can actually do that. Yeah. So do you know the three to seven things that people that do not use your product don't know? And but if they did, they would be more open to buying it. I could, yes, I could, I could, with a pad of paper and a pen, I can sit down and through just our insights and all that, I can sketch those things out. Yeah. Make sure that it's rooted in like, what customers tell you, right? So there, if you did the research, you would see that people that use our product believe these things and the people that don't use our product don't. And then you need to figure out how does, how do we get our content to help educate people on the things that our customers know that these people don't believe, right? For us, it's like the way that companies think about attribution, the way that companies think about MQLs and lead gen, like the way that companies over obsess about technology and not customer insights, we have core pillars that as people understand, which are, we're not like lying to people. We're not tricking people. We're just telling them the truth of what's happening. It's helping them, right? There's no, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing, which allow people to get educated and understand that there is a new way of thinking about something that would allow them to get better results professionally or personally or whatever they're trying to do. And so the key for you is to figure out what are those three or five things that I need to figure out different ways to educate people on that in a way that they want, in a way that they engage with, right? Um, So that would be the connection that I think you need to make because the entire point of 
a content strategy in the way that you're doing it is to create demand. And creating demand is getting someone educated on the problem, the available solutions, and why your solution is the right one, right? It's the early stages. And so, but you got to know what are the problems that people, what are the problems that people are having? What are the solutions that they're trying right now? Why are those solutions inadequate or not ideal? And how do you teach them that in a way like what we do using clear examples of Salesforce data that I know after seeing the same patterns with 10 companies that people that are listening to this podcast that work in companies like that are probably experiencing too. Because when you see shit at 10 companies in a row, or when you hear the the qualitative insight from 10 buyers in a row, when you do customer research, like I was talking with Gary about, that you see the pattern and it's what is true is that it's pretty much happening across the board. Like a sample size of 10, in my experience doing customer research, if you get 10 people that are saying the same same type of things and you can pretty much apply that that segment of people all believe that thing for whatever reason i think that really dialing in what those things are and that's the connection that you need to make to achieve the i i don't look at it as achieving the sales objective i i look at it as helping the market understand a certain thing and once they understand it they're more likely to consider our stuff see the problems that we're talking about in their business or otherwise that's awesome can i ask can i ask a follow-up to that of course. I think one of the things, and I think about what drew me to your podcast and you know what you say and kind of following those things. I'm just wondering if there's a parallel here. Mm-hmm. What what drew me a lot to, to what you were saying is, is while you're relying on a lot of data and insights and, and, and you're forming these opinions to me who, who came from a different background as far as very much on the paid attribution model and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Uh, it, to be it, clear... I used to be on the paid attribute. You know what I mean? Everything I know what you mean. Marketer, every, I just want to get this for the listeners mainly. Yeah. Everything that I do, everything that I talk about not doing are things that I used to do, right? Yeah. And so I'm helping. Yeah. So, so anyway, I think going. so where I came in in and following you, it was there was this polarization of the old game with the old rules played by the old players. And there's this really this new way, which is really the old way, but it's this new way of thinking about the old way. And there was this polarizing aspect to what you're doing. And I, and that's what made me go, holy crap, I need to listen to more of what he's saying because this is very thought-provoking. Mm-hmm. And so do you feel like in order for, when I think about what you're saying here, do you feel like that is a crucial element or a part of the recipe in order to have success in that content strategy? I think that it feels right, right? Like then it's worth using, but if forced and inauthentic, no, right? Like it has to... It has to fit. I think that it's weird, like maybe how I communicate with conviction and confidence because I literally just know that it works better, right? So I just I think that the way that I communicate the topics makes it feel like provocative, right? Um, but in general, I am just I think just educating people and people find it to be. Um, I've had people call my stuff clickbait. I've had people call my stuff a lot of different things like that. Um, I think to get back to your question, being provocative can be effective, but only when used with authenticity. Of course. Of course. Yeah. I was just wondering if you've identified that because your views are, are, are a little bit more provocative against the mainstream, if you felt like that was, it is authentic, but do you feel like yeah. that was also a major part of why it's been successful? It's almost like if you have a strategic narrative that makes sense it almost has to be provocative right Mm -hmm. it's like 
you're basically saying everything that come like if you use drift as an example no forums to chat like you're basically have to say what you're doing right now is not optimal yeah here's what you should do instead and so it's perceived as provocative because a mass market believes that one way is the right way to do it yeah so maybe in a narrative format it, i don't i don't know andy raskin or someone like that would probably be better to answer that question than me but it's been an effective part of our marketing mix for some things yeah cool thanks man i appreciate it cool happy to help what vertical are you in by the way if you don't mind me asking insure tech interesting cool love to hear about the facebook ads crushing it for you yeah nice. nicholas great to have you awesome question keep doing great work I'm going to just jump to Patrick. Patrick, come on and save me. Look. Hello. Hello. Hey. It's me. It's me again. Good to have you. Yeah. Good to be back with questions this time. I feel like the weeks I don't have questions, I feel, I feel like I've done something wrong. Like I should have been up here with something to say. See, <laughs> um, so, so often. But hey, look, you've, you were talking tonight about, um, you know, basically going into these channels and, and learning how to stack these channels, right? But going to make one work, you're going to move on. Previously, you've also said that um, one of the best things, one of the things that you believe that you're the best at uh, is strategic thinking and going into this. But I think for a second, what I really am interested in sometimes is the tactical version of that. And I feel like you've touched on that a bit pre already tonight with some people, how to go in, what to say. I just want to, I've got a couple of follow-up questions, but I think maybe one thing to start with, I think the thing that, maybe I think holds a lot of people back and, and I mean, I can definitely be included in this is the mental talk around what you're going to say, not the topics, but like, you know, I mean, talking about saying something every day sometimes feels a bit wanky. Can I say that on the podcast? I don't know. Yeah. But like it feels oh, like man, that. I, swear, I swear it here all the time. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I had the password, but um, you know, I, I feel like maybe the answer really is self-evident or just, you know, you just got to go ahead and start saying it. But I'm wondering on the mental talk side, if you can think back maybe to the early days when you started doing that, how you sort of got around that. Yeah. Do you feel like you don't know what to say because you don't have the insights that you need? Or do you feel like you don't, you know what to say, but you are like, have some type of insecurity about posting at that volume? Do you know which one it is? Yeah, this might be a back and forth. So let's keep uh, Patrick. Uh, I know. Easier yeah. said than done, Chris, but I got yeah. it. Patrick is back. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's, that's the rest of the, uh, that's my fault. I uh, yeah, do the same as everyone else has tonight. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think, I don't think it's a lack of things to say, right? And I feel like my natural inclination is to be a little bit, I'm happy to be controversial. I'm happy to have the debate. I, I don't, I really want to be involved in that. I think there's another question that like, how much should you lean to that and how much not? And yeah, I think mostly it's just like, look, it just feels like it's a bit much posting that volume. It's a bit too much, even though it's not about me. There's a bit yeah. too much of me talking. Why, why do you think that way? What does too much mean? Well, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like it starts to feel too contrived. And like, hey, I'm trying too hard to post every day rather than I'm waiting to have something to say. Or I'm saying things that I believe to be obvious, yet to my customer, they probably aren't really obvious at all. They're probably things that they've never mm -hmm. thought about. Yet separating those two lines is difficult to do. Yeah. You realize this is all in your head, right? 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And that's yeah. what I'm asking. When you started, <laughs> how did you get past that point, I guess? And maybe, like I said, it's probably stuff that meant to just, just push. Yeah, there is an element of process that you might be missing. With no process, I hit a wall at three times a week. I couldn't sit down and write a post that I felt was interesting at that frequency, like more than three times a week with no structure. I felt like I was getting repetitive and I didn't know what to say. The way that I opened that up is I started to involve the audience in the creation. And so I used like the comments that I would leave on other people's posts that then got a lot of engagement. That comment would then be a like next day's post. I had the events running so that there was an hour of content with seven different topics that got clipped up into three minute clips. And then I didn't have to post all seven. I could just pick the two that I thought were the best. And so there are ways, I think the thing that worked for me was transitioning from, I need to think about how to like make up a topic every day to talk about, to just talking about things with people and recording it. That was the big unlock for me that allowed it to scale. And I think that yours is even like a little bit deeper than that. Like, I think there's a process element, but I also, I could hear in the way that you asked the question that there's like, I could feel in the underline of like, like people don't care what I have to say, or like what I'm saying is not smart enough or something like that, which I do believe is like deeply rooted in your head that just changing your mindset about how you look at it would be the unlock to that. When I, before I ever made a post on LinkedIn, when I saw Dave Gerhardt get a million, a million likes and Justin Welsh getting a million likes and all that different stuff, I was like, Nobody cares what I have to say in marketing. Nothing that I have, you know what I mean? I told myself the same shit. And then going out there and doing a couple of things because succeeding in the business that I wanted to create was more important than my thoughts. And then I got to see really quickly within a week of like, wow, the shit that I am thinking about is actually way different than what most people think. There's a lot of good stuff here. And so the Part of it is process. I think that you should listen to what I said again, like as a recording and some at the beginning and some of the things that I just talked about in terms of like, how do you get the audience to deliver you what they want to know so that you have confidence that what you're producing is what they want. And then another one about how do you through purely repetition, like I'm going through it on TikTok right now, like the, I get very little engagement. I go and post on LinkedIn and get 25,000 views on a video, which is the most views that anyone gets on videos on LinkedIn. And I go over to TikTok and I post things and I get 10 likes on a video when people are getting millions, right? Eventually, it just becomes part of the game and the process. Like I like being at the beginning. It forces you to figure out like, how am I going to make this work? It's like a when you think about it more, and this is an interesting, I haven't really talked in this angle before, but it was something that I brought to the table um, because of one of Seth Godin's books. When I started on LinkedIn, when you treat it like like you're making art, and so you just go and you put some things together, you put it out, you get feedback, like you get feedback, you go and you make something else. And so if you think about it more in that view, I think that it becomes more about how do you get better every day, not how what what the audience says doesn't matter except for providing feedback on what to do next. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I mean, you're not entirely wrong in that. Yeah, I feel like there's a part of like no one cares, and I feel like it's normal at the beginning. No one does care because no one's following me for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. So that's but you. Well, you got to change the mindset before mm-hmm. you get the result, right? Yeah. Like if you yeah. always if you always think that way, you'll never get to the place where you change your thinking. You have to change the way that you think before you get to where you want to go. 
All right, that makes sense. I have follow-ups. Uh, yeah, let's do it. So, so we've talked about that individually, right? The tactics side, you've already talked a little bit about how to get over the mental bound. You've already talked a little bit about. I guess my next question is in terms of scaling this, because I feel like a lot of the conversations now are all around one individual person does this, right? And potentially this is not a KPI you measure people inside your business on. However, if it's something that was going to be implemented in a business, say we've got a couple of people who want to do this, we've all seen the videos, we want to be involved in it. How do we look at scaling that? You know, is there sort of what to what you said, is there a process that we can use to, to follow that, um, that we could probably use to, to gain it? Because not everyone's got like seven events going on. Um, it's a great spot to be in, but <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious as, you know, how do you think that might work? Because obviously you can't, you got to be on the same page to some degree, yeah. but not saying the same stuff. How do you create more video content? I guess it's more like how do you uh, go into one of these channels, say LinkedIn, and and do this across a team and say okay, the sales team is going to do this, the marketing team is going to do this, or whatever, or the, a number of people yeah. within both of those teams is going to start implementing this inside the business. Uh, my belief is that the approach of having taking a company that doesn't do it at all and then trying to get a large group of people to all do it at once is a losing game. Not going to work. Because the culture in the company, it's too big of a shift from we don't like, you have to change more than just tell people, okay, now we're going to post on LinkedIn. When the company says that, they don't, they still don't prioritize LinkedIn. They still spend their budget on all the dumb stuff they spend before. They treat LinkedIn like a sprinkle on top and the people that are asked to do it know it. And they're like, the company doesn't really believe in this stuff. They're treating it as a sprinkle. It's like a, some, you know what I mean? You need to, the, the culture needs to change first, the culture, the measurement, the company strategy to our buyers spend time on LinkedIn every day. Instead of spending five fucking million dollars on trade shows next year, we're going to invest that money into producing video content through our employees on LinkedIn. We're doing this. The trade shows are out. We're making a change, but companies don't do that. And so, but the employees need to see that. They need to then see executives lead the way and show them what good looks like, create the space, create the confidence, remove the fear of failure and judgment, all the things that hold people back from doing this consistently. And so I would not try and approach it of having a bunch of people do it at, at once. I would actually do the almost the exact opposite, which is have one or two people prove that it can work. And then other people, you won't even have to train them or do anything. They will follow because they want to do it anyway, but they want other people that lead the company to give people confidence that this is what we do now. You, you can look re really easy at the companies that are more, quote unquote, more successful in implementing these things. And you can look and they all have executive sponsorship that are being successful. Cool. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So lead by example, set and totally. let culture sort of trickle down to some degree and let totally. people sort of come to it themselves. Cool. I think I'm out of follow-ups. All right, man. Perfect. If you got more, feel free to come back on later or next week or whenever. Good to have you. Yeah, well, thanks, man. Always love having you, Patrick. All right, Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. Okay. Hi. You're on. <laughs> Yay! I did it. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. My first time as well. Although Whoa. I have been following you, your 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 tribe for some time. So I am not a marketer. I am a seller. <laughs> and nice. um, I have been struggling with the old age 
struggle of the marketing sales misalignment. And just to give you some context, so I had spent six years in the human capital management space, HR, talent acquisition, all of that good mm-hmm. stuff, six years. And then last summer, I decided to venture out and leap into the world of marketing, Mark Tech. And I joined a, so I'm, I'm based in Quebec, Canada. I joined um, a Canadian founded pre-series C company. We were about 150 employees in the marketing performance management space. And then it was really exciting. We had a really great customer base, high retention rates, great advocates, a lot of a lot of the pipeline we were generating were coming from referrals and, oh, I just left this company and I'm coming to this new company and we need, we need the solution. I can't do my job. So it was really great. And then 10 days into my onboarding, I, we got acquired. And now, so we were getting acquired. And then a week or so after that, they acquired another player in their same space. So fast forward now, seven months later, we're three organizations kind of with overlapping products use case and value propositions. And I've always tried my best. So when I first got, um, when I first onboarded, my first goal was, let me get to know what the, who the customers are. What are the use cases? What are they experiencing? And so I would just connect with our existing customers like over LinkedIn and connect and say, hey, I just joined this company. Want to just know more about you, more, more about your team. And then it just happened organically that I started building up my network because I just built a network over a decade of HR people, right? And so different personas, different people. I was always an advocate of leveraging LinkedIn to not promote the product or the company, but to bring awareness, educate, et cetera. And I did well. I, I, I picked the momentum and then I started you know, I got promoted and they're like, Hey, can you, can you be like a senior account executive? Can you kind of lead the team? You seem to really have a good grasp on our ICP and um, you're really, you know, you're really linked in and you're part of those networks and you're really learning a lot of different things. And we want you to be able to impart that to the team. And I was like, cool. But like nobody, nobody wants to do LinkedIn. (laughs) I'm just, I'm I'm honestly baffled. Yeah, so uh, I was just like, oh, okay, that's that's a good uh, segue. But yeah, so you call this? There was kind of like a maybe finish your question. Um, Yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead, and then I probably have a follow up because there was a couple acquisition, sales and marketing alignment, LinkedIn. It was kind of in a couple different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've come to a point where internally they're like, we're moving forward as one organization, but we're still very segmented, right? So in my mind, the only thing I'm thinking about is our customers, our market, our prospects, uh-huh. we're confused. They're confused. So it's like we're having kind of a brand identity crisis. There's like confusion in terms of our positioning and messaging. And we're con- I just said, status quo, guys, the only thing we can do is just focus on the problems that we're solving and educate and go and bring awareness. And my marketing team has now, like, I, I feel like I've become known throughout the organization as like this person in sales who asks way too many questions, who asks marketing way too many questions. And I'm having a bit of a hard time because like, I'm very critical. I'm very analytical. I want to know, like I'm, 
I'm moving. I'm 10 steps ahead. And I'm like, yeah, can we consider this? We're what putting is, on a road show. What are, okay, what are the example. three, uh, what are the three, uh, CEO head of sales and head of marketing? Think about this situation. So the CEO is the CEO of the company that acquired us. Okay. The other CEOs exited. Mm-hmm. The CMO is new, part of the company that acquired us. Mm-hmm. And our sales leader is our SVP who came from our organization. Mm-hmm. But and what do they what do they think about? Like you mentioned like like LinkedIn's not taking off. You're the person who's asking too many questions. There's some alignment. My belief, just to sort of fast track this, is that like a senior account executive, a director of demand generation at that level, I don't like saying this because it feels disempowering, but like you do not have control over the alignment of the company. This starts way higher in the organization. Above my pay grade. Metrics. Yeah. Not necessarily above your pay grade. It's just the people that are in those positions make the calls and then it gets moved down. And so that's why I asked what those people think about it because if they don't think that anything's wrong, then nothing's going to change. And so, and you sort of like, I can feel in the way that you ask a question, like feels like there's a little bit of friction. You feel like the person that like gets it, but a lot of other people don't get it. And in those places, like go find somewhere better to work with people that get it. (laughs) um, (laughs) You see the problem, like the problem for me is like, we're building our marketing team. We got some growth people coming on. Um, we have some some digital people coming on. I've never been so close to such a dynamic M and A situation. So I guess the yeah. question was like, what what do, what do companies do? Like, I get it. They're probably paying some some firm, some consultancy firm, big bucks to kind of rebrand or or tell the story or all of that. But in the meantime. What can we do as individual contributors as a, at a grassroots level to be like, to gain more momentum, you know, on LinkedIn? Because I feel like the algorithm is, is playing against me for so much. Like, I feel like some of the posts I do is, are, are really valuable. And I'm like, is it not reaching people? Like, I'm, I'm consistently building up a network. I know it's, it's, you know, they're eyeballed on it. But like, what can we, what can I coach my team to do? individually in the short term to try to generate demand to try mm-hmm. to generate momentum and drive the messaging yeah. and drive the positioning like what can we do yeah it's interesting because you're asking for like tactics to do something when i think a lot of what you're saying is that the strategy isn't in the right place right um and so like Doing like posting on LinkedIn with no clear strategy, connecting back to a business narrative that matters is just creating like likes and comments and activity, but usually doesn't deliver on the result that like a company like mine's getting. And so it's like for you, if you're looking for like a solution, it's like try and reverse engineer what is the company strategy. If you need to go back to the business unit that you used to work for to do that, then like figure out what that strategy is and then communicate it. But it needs to get connected to what the company is actually trying to achieve. The second thing that you could do 
is you could just focus on building your personal brand and not like if it connects with the company, great, but you should focus on how do I create content every day? How do I build a network? How do I start to get traction? What else could I do to get this to work? And it can be about, right? You're probably talking about sales and marketing, but it doesn't need to be rooted directly back to the narrative of the company that you work for right now, which then over time can either signal to the company, hey, Elizabeth knows what she's doing. Like maybe we should like have her like figure out how to do this or give her a promotion or something like that. Or another company's out there and it's like, hey, that woman, Elizabeth, really knows what she's doing. Why don't we have her over here? We have a great strategy, right? Perhaps focusing more on you and less on the company might be a, a good strategy too. I'm not sure if that was like what you're, what you're looking for, but it seems like a like not ideal yeah, situation. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. And I'll continue to build my personal brand and, and advocate. Um, and like, who, who knows? 2022 is going to be a, a defining year, I think. So, hey, thank Hell you yeah. so much. I appreciate Happy it. Happy to help. Good to have you, Elizabeth. We had so many first time joiners tonight and got them all in for questions, which was great. How are you feeling? Yeah. Should we wrap up with some closing thoughts? Let's close, let's close out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, appreciate all the, like, it's been three, like at least three episodes, potentially more now, where most of the people that are coming on here and asking questions are people that are, they're like, what, the, what people say, longtime listener, first time caller or something like that. Um, it's really cool to see new participation from people and new faces, like, that's amazing. It's also a shout out for people that are have been listening that are listening to this recording on the podcast tomorrow and have been listening for a while and haven't come to the event. I think that the it's weird when I talk about it it's, and I was explaining to someone today why we use the format that we do with video and the chat is because like the content is an important piece, but how all of everyone that's here interacts with one another and learns and shares ideas and shares links and things like that. There's a massive value of actually attending live that I think a lot of people that just listen have not experienced yet. So I would encourage people that are listening afterwards to, to consider, I know that there's time zone challenges, but for those that can, I would encourage you to come check it out and hang out with us on a Tuesday night. With all that said, I uh, really appreciate all of you being here. I love the questions when upon different angles tonight. So thank you. And we will catch you again next week. Have a good week, everyone. Hey everyone, really appreciate you tuning into this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. And I just wanted to take a second to say to all of the listeners out there, we just crossed over 40,000 listeners across the world to this podcast. And so super grateful and super happy that for all of you, really appreciate you tuning in, attending the live events, engaging on the LinkedIn content, and now watching us get started up and engaging on YouTube and TikTok. And so Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you. And if you haven't already, if you've gotten value from the podcast, I would really appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcasts in the review section of this podcast and leave a quick review or a rating. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you very much. And we'll see you for the next episode.